Well, we continue in our catechism studies to question 76 and 76 to 78. The text is from Exodus 20 and verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. What does this commandment require? It requires the maintaining and promoting of truth between man and man, and of our own and our neighbor's good name, especially in witness-bearing. And it forbids whatsoever is prejudicial to truth or injurious to our own or our neighbor's good name. Now there's a, a law that has in all these commandments. There's a lot included in it. You only have to look at the larger catechism and see how it's expanded upon. The chapter that we read earlier from John 18 speaks quite a lot about truth and falsehood, and I think in quite a helpful way. We saw Peter there at the lowest point of his life, where he denies that he was a follower of Jesus. Peter, who had made the great confession of faith, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, stood there and three times over denied that he even knew his Saviour. It was a straight-out lie. It was false what he said, but he said it anyway. And of course, he bitterly regretted it, and he did repent of it. We see the proof of it in the rest of his life, where he goes out and bears not false witness, but he bears true witness to Jesus being the Saviour. He goes, as it were, to all places in the world, and he no longer denies his Saviour. We saw also in that chapter Jesus himself as the paragon of truth. Look at verses 20 and 21 there, and it, it speaks of Jesus saying, I spoke openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet, and in secret I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, they know what I said. You see, here Jesus is open and honest and candid. He did not form a secret society on earth where the doctrine was kept away uh, from public view. No, everything that he taught was publicly made known. Of course, he, he spoke at times just to his disciples. But the, the, the burden of that doctrine was made known. He preached it in synagogues, in temple, in, in, on mountains, on plains. And so all was made known. We also see there in verse 37 where Jesus says of himself, For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice. So Jesus quite clearly saw one of the reasons why he has come into the world as being bearing witness to truth, not to falsehood. We saw the high priest, or Jesus before the high priest, where the officer struck Jesus on the face. And Jesus says there in verse 23, If I have spoken evil, Bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? You see, this whole event, as we see from the other Gospels, 
involved the bearing of false witness, even on oath. Men perjured themselves by swearing that Jesus said things that he did not say. Jesus here gives them an opportunity to bear witness to the truth, and yet they do not take it. But I think perhaps most interesting of all, and particularly to our theme this evening, is there in verse 38. Pilate, who has tried Jesus, he's asked him all sorts of questions, finally says, what is truth? What is it? What is truth? Of course, when we think on this topic, the Bible shows to us that there is black and there is white. If you're an adopted child of the Lord today, you are a child in truth. The Lord loves truth and he hates lying. Proverbs 6 and verse 16 says there are six things that the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. And it's interesting that three of those things, we have a lying tongue, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. The three of these things that the Lord hates relate to this particular commandment that we're thinking of today. So you can be an adopted child of God, therefore we ought to love the truth. But if you're not an adopted child of God, what are you but a son of the devil who is the father of lies? Has it not always been that way since the beginning that he came into the world and told lies? He spoke deceitfully to Eve. He deceived our first parents and plunged them into sin and misery. Lies, falsehood, perjury, all these things go against this commandment that we're considering today. The moral law of God requires truth and honesty. And of course, this commandment can be broken very simply by telling a lie. Saying that something is A when it is in fact B. That is, of course, a straight lie. It's worse, though, and the Catechism shows us this, it's worse when it's in witness-bearing. That is, when you're under oath, when you're in the court of the law. You're, you're under oath, and therefore you have called upon God to look and scrutinize and see and to testify to the truthfulness of what you are saying. Any lie is wrong, but a lie under oath is an aggravated sin because the Lord sees and the Lord will judge. But friends, this commandment deals with other aspects of truth and falsehood and it's these in particular I want us to see this evening. I think for us, I hope for us, we're not going to be telling many out and out lies. Something that you know decisively to be false To say something is black when you know it is white, or vice versa. But there are ways in which we can mislead. There are ways in which we can speak that, strictly speaking, are not lies. And yet we can lead someone to believe the opposite of what is true. The self-righteous Pharisee delights in being able to do that. To, To speak things that technically haven't made him lie 
and yet he has misled. Jesus here shows us that in his speech he was open and candid. There was honesty. There was no misleading, just as there were no lies. We live in a time when falsehood seems to be expected. We thought and we sang of those over us who are liars. And it's a judgment upon this nation that we have leaders over us who speak lies and who deceive. Think of what is plaguing the British Parliament at the moment about these parties. Think of how it began when these accusations were made, how we were told expressly there were no parties. And then it became if there were parties, the rules were followed. And then it became they were gatherings, but they were work gatherings, work meetings. And then most recently we've had an apology from the Prime Minister for these things. Where is truth in that? Ought not the truth to have been spoken at the very first, at the very outset? Is it not the case that our Prime Minister misled the House? Which is, of course, an offence that leads to resignation. I'm not trying to make a political point as if the other side is any better. Because what do we see at all sides, in all parties, in all those, uh, not, not necessarily every single individual, but across the political spectrum, we have lies and we have deceit. Think of the Scottish National Party and how they have been very vocal against our Prime Minister on this account of lying, when only last year the First Minister was voted in the Scottish Parliament of having misled that Parliament. See, we have politicians who are not afraid to spin the truth, to deceive and to mislead, and they get away with it. It is tolerated. And in times such as this, surely we are left wondering, what are we to believe about all these things? Pilate asks the question, what is truth? And sometimes do you not think that when you you listen to the farce that is political life in this land? And you say, what is truth? How can we know when people can look at the same event and come out with different conclusions depending on how it is spun? Whom are we to believe? Think of how the government as it's been reported, has used its nudge unit in order to use behavioural psychology to really manipulate the population to our public response to COVID. How do we know what is true when it's been candidly reported that this behavioural psychology has been used against the people? What is truth and how can we trust It's obvious for a Christian that in our dealings with people, we must speak the truth. But it's also important that we believe the truth. And that's part of, a big part of what I want to think on today. By this I don't mean uh, doctrinally, but it's important, which it is true, it's right and it's proper that we believe the truth of God's word. It's important that we seek to ensure that our, our theological thinking is grounded in the scriptures. But I mean more widely than that. 
It's important that we believe the truth, that when we hear reports, that we're not quick to take up an evil report, we're not quick to believe whatever is told us, but that we consider it to see, is this possible? Is it plausible? Is it probable? Is it true? Before we believe it ourselves. You see, the ninth commandment can't be kept simply by you never speaking a lie. You must also be thinking and believing things that are true. There are subtle ways in which this commandment may be broken. And I want us to think, first of all, um, about misleading. And particularly, I want to apply this to the media. How the media misleads. And I mean media in the widest possible sense. So we have media on TV where there is news media. We have the print media of newspapers, but also magazines. We have social media, which most of you perhaps are not on social media, which is maybe a good thing, uh, because there is so much opportunity there for misleading information to be put across. But much of what I say here in relating to the media has a wider application. In fact, many of these things can be applied simply to how you and I speak with other people. What are we to believe? Friends, Philippians chapter 4 tells us what we're to think about. Whatever things are true, meditate on these things. That's the aim. Believe, think upon, meditate upon the truth and not things that are wrong and false. A minister from the RP Church in America, I think I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Uh, He surprised me when he was preaching once in my home congregation by saying, what's the most dangerous program you can watch on TV? And you can think of all the things you could watch. What is the most dangerous? And he said, it's the 10 o'clock BBC News or any news bulletin. Because it's presented as fact. And yet every news agency has a slant. It does. Everyone has bias. The the idea that the BBC, uh, for example, is unbiased is just an impossibility. Because we know that everyone has a worldview. Everyone has a way they think. Christian or non-Christian. And then even we can subdivide How do they think and what information are they trying to get across? And the dangerous thing for Christians living in this world is to recognise that. And I think very few Christians do. The media is telling us what to think and how to think. Now, the media could be right in what it says or it could be wrong in what it says. That's for this point, isn't isn't my main point. But the the thing is, we have to recognise that the media does have a bias. It does have a slant. And they are trying to get across something, and often in very subtle ways. And friends, let's be aware that it's entirely possible for the media to mislead. You only have to look at the different types of newspapers, and look at the way they look at the same events, and the same people, and yet they all have different slants, and they all come to different conclusions. Their editors have a bias that they want to get across. And we as Christians who are to think and meditate on true things, 
ought to be careful in what we believe. I think this is one of the ways in which the church is weak at this time. Let me give you a few, quite a few examples of this, because I think this is important and it's not often addressed. Ways in which the media can mislead. Imagine if, for example, first example, if the, the news is reporting on two different opinions. Well, it could be any opinions, but opposing opinions. Maybe one's on the left of the spectrum and one's on the right. But how they label the people that they're interviewing is very important. Perhaps they take the person on the right of the spectrum and they label them as an activist, a right-wing activist. But the person on the left, they label as a professor or a doctor. They give them a, a, a... an authoritative title. It's true. That person is a professor or that person is a doctor. But very subtly, you see, they're trying to, uh, to get us to think. This person here is an activist. They've got a point of view they're trying to get across. Whereas this person is an authority figure and they're to be trusted. And that can go either way. It can go vice versa, depending on the slant. Now, you may say, is that really that important? Surely they've spoken something that is true. But very subtly, when these things are happen, and they do happen over and over again, it, it, it conditions people to think one view is acceptable, one view is authoritative, and the other is outside of the pale. Or take another example. It's important to listen to what the news is reporting It's also important to ask yourself, what are they not reporting? What are they omitting? What are they hiding? And why are they hiding it? If you were to look at the BBC News website every day for a year, you would think that every single person in the UK is supportive of pride marches, green agenda, Black Lives Matter. You would think that everyone... Uh, in Britain, or these, this is the majority view. This is the way we are to be. This is what is acceptable. You wouldn't see other things. You wouldn't see that people protest abortion. It wouldn't be portrayed to you. You wouldn't see that people have protested lots of the COVID restrictions through the course of this year. It doesn't suit uh, the view. And and, and so what stories are presented and what stories are not presented is a hugely important issue. It's a way of getting you to think what is acceptable and what is not. Take another example. How, uh, how, Bill, maybe you could tell us about this later on, but how photos are cropped. What photo is put in to let you see whether uh, what's happening. Photos can be cropped. Uh, I'll give you one example of this there's a famous picture of an enemy soldier who is weakened Uh, obviously he's he's hurt himself in a battle and there are two soldiers at either side one is pointing a gun at him the other one is giving him a drink of water now you can crop that photo to give across a message if you take the one side the man holding the gun pointed at this weakened soldier You can give the impression that the military is bad or this particular man representing this army is bad. 
but crop it the other way and you show that the army is sympathetic and kind and generous, compassionate. It all depends which side you put in and which side you leave out. Every time we see a photo in the news, we should have it in our mind. I'm not saying that every photo is a manipulation or anything. I don't want us to take these to the extreme. But when we do see a photo, we should think it's possible that they're showing me what they want me to see and not the whole picture. And that can happen with audio reports. It can happen with video reports. They can clip out the little section they want you to hear and not give you the context. And in that way, they deceive us. We should always ask, what are they leaving out? Or take this as an example where people use, uh, or people are partisan. They, they want to get across that their side is good, the other side is bad. And they'll do anything in order to get people to think that. And so they'll criticise something that is being done under the current administration, but not give you the full facts that that thing was begun under the previous administration. There's one example of this from America. Uh, Perhaps you remember when people were criticizing President Trump for separating the children from their families at the Mexican border. And there was a huge media outcry against this. Uh, And at the time, uh, there were videos and photos that were used that were put up uh, in the media. But what they didn't tell you was that those photos came from Obama's administration, from his time in office. In other words, this policy didn't begin with Donald Trump, but it was also in effect under Barack Obama. And so the the message of the media was, this side is bad, this side is good. It was a way of misleading. You see, as Christians, we should be willing to say both sides can be wrong. We should be willing to challenge what is evil, no matter whether it suits us or not, whether it's on our side or the other side. We ought to be uh, more independent in that way. Or take this in this final way in which the media can mislead. And it's through headlines. Many people only read the headlines. And news media know this. And so they put into the headline something uh, sensationalist, something that maybe is technically true, something that is a fact but not quite the whole picture. And they rely upon people just reading the headline. See, these things are all dangerous ways in which the media can adjust what we think is true and what we think is false. And friends, the media does it quite often. You'd be surprised. Perhaps you've seen these things, but it does it very often because everyone has their own worldview and we want to get our worldview across. If we're to take the Ninth Commandment seriously, we need to think upon things that are true. We can't just blindly accept everything that is given to us, because not everything that is given is true. And sometimes the news media has to uh, publish retractions, whether in the newspaper or uh, on TV. But isn't it interesting how it never gets the same prominence as the lie got. The lie could have been front page news. The retraction will be well back in the newspaper. So that most people don't read it. 
Wouldn't it be more uh, fitting? And wouldn't this be a great way of fighting against fake news? If the lie was corrected in the exact same amount of page space, uh, 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 or if the apology was printed in the same amount of page space as the lie, wouldn't that be the greatest way of fixing these things in society? The media spreads a view. It could be right, it could be wrong, it could be partially true, and we need to be sure of what is true before we blindly believe things and before we spread them to be true. Because if we pass on things we've heard without first checking to make sure they're true, we are spreading a false report and we are certainly breaking this commandment. Don't content yourself with a summary of what people say. How often does the news tell you sort of a, a, a summary of what someone has said? Go and look at what they actually said. Because how often is it the case that the summary doesn't really tell you what was truly said? Context is missing. Photos, I've spoken of those. Audio files, videos. These can all be adjusted in such a way that you're only getting part of the truth. Statistics are what things that can be misused and abused in order to mislead. Because at the end of the day, news, the media wants the news to sell. And these things do sell. Our fundamental assumption ought to be that in their worldview, they have a slant. And we must be sure it's true before believing it. I think that's important. I don't think that's addressed very much. And yet I think it's a huge issue in the church today. The second subtle way in which the ninth commandment is broken is through gossip. Gossip. This is where people spread details about other people's lives that may or may not be true and that may or may not be relevant and most of the time indeed are not indeed necessary to be spread on. Gossip is an acceptable sin in the modern church. It's something that God's word is clear on, that it's wrong. And yet it's something that very few criticize and very few turn from. I think of gossip, we would seek to strike it dead to the roots in the heart. But there's very little striking it to the roots. There's very little mourning of the sin. And isn't it interesting what Proverbs 18 verse 8 says? The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles and they go down into the inmost body. There's something nice about listening to gossip. There's something tasty in it. It's a trifle that goes down. It is sweet to the taste. But friends, what, what about when you're on the other side of the gossip? What about when they're spreading misinformation about you? Lies about you. What then? Do you delight in the gossip then? When it's your life and your reputation that's in ruins? Now you see, it's interesting, isn't it? How we can stand on the one side and be on the wrong side of the gossip. Happily partaking in it because it's sweet to the taste. And then we're appalled and amazed and shocked when people do the same things about us. Friends, if you talk about people behind their backs, don't be surprised if they also talk about you behind your backs. Just a fact. 
fact, unless we do something to resist this, surely it will continue to be the case. We should ask ourselves this question first of all. Would I say this to the person's face? Am I brave enough to say it to their face? I'll happily say it behind their back to do harm to their reputation and to their good name. But am I man enough to say it to their face? Well, that should give us pause. Remember Matthew chapter 18 that speaks in how we address sin. We don't address sin by speaking about it behind the person's back and telling everyone we want to tell. We address it by going to that person, taking them privately aside and speaking to them face to face. That's the way uh, that Jesus tells us we are to behave ourselves in the house of God. We should ask ourselves, this information we're hearing, this information that we are maybe desperate to go and spread to other people, is it true? Is it kind? Is it necessary? Is it really something that should be shared? Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, particularly the younger widows, learn, uh, he says they learn to be idle, wandering from house to house, not only idle, but gossips and busybodies, saying things they ought not to do. Gossip can be learned, and in Paul's day, it was a huge problem in the church, and it's still a huge problem even today. We should come to the conclusion that gossip simply is wrong. In whatever form, it is wrong. But also that it's deeply damaging. The second greatest commandment is that we're to love our neighbour as we love ourselves. Well, doesn't that mean that we would treat them the way we want to be treated ourselves? If we don't want to be gossiped about, surely then we don't gossip about others. It's a simple as that. If I don't want my reputation to be in tatters, then I don't tear someone else's reputation into tatters. Think of toothpaste and how once it's squeezed out, it doesn't go back in. Think of how you tear up a piece of paper and throw it into the wind. You can never reclaim all the pieces again. And that is the way people's reputations are. The Bible tells us we're to delight in a good name. It's better than good ointment. But when it's ruined, it's ruined. And there's little that can be done at times to defend it. The psalmist knew this pain. How many of the psalms deal with false reports and lies? Jesus knew what this was because here he is being falsely accused. They lied about him. Friends, why would we want to be part of that? Ruining reputations. One of the, the powerful uh, pictures or uh, through the various government Covid restrictions, and I'm sure you saw it, was the line of matches. And if one match goes on fire, and it will burn its way along the line until it reaches the end. But if you pull out just one match, what happens? You've created a fire break. And the fire can't spread from this one to that one because the gap is too wide. And the point, of course, at the time was if you do your part to break the chains of infection, you can save people's lives. Well, friends, isn't gossip worse than any virus? Because gossip breaks the law of God. What if we, by our actions, can break the chain of infection? 
What if we, by our actions, can stop the gossip being spread from this person to countless other people? What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, if we follow what Psalm 15 says, the upright man does not take up reproach against his friend. Rather, he speaks truth in his heart. If we're careful not to spread on the gossip, but not only that, if we're careful not even to listen to the gossip, when we hear someone who wants to tell us some morsel, some tasty trifle, what if we were just simply to say, I don't want to hear it? Especially when these things are hard to prove their veracity. Is this necessary for us to be listening to? Will it change how I think about that person? Will I now be unable to to hold that brother or sister in Christ in high esteem and in regard? We ought to be so careful. Ephesians chapter 4 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but, and I think here it's meaning but only, Uh, Don't do this, but only do this. But only speak what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Instead of corrupting people with our speech, let's speak grace. Instead of uh, harming and spreading disease, let's instead speak what is healing, what is good and kind and, uh, and true we should think of gossip and we think uh, would I be prepared to speak to this person face to face? Would I be prepared to go with them and commiserate them? If it's a piece of uh, misfortune that has befallen them, am I prepared to go and commiserate with them? Or am I just content in spreading uh, the, the gossip behind their backs? These are all things we ought to ask ourselves. So that we've seen the misleading that can happen through the media, and we've seen gossip. And then, just briefly, thirdly, another subtle way in which the Ninth Commandment can be broken is the omission of bearing true witness. If it's wrong to bear false witness, it's also wrong to omit to bear true witness. Or as the Catechism speaks of being silent in a just cause. That's in the larger Catechism. When we know that something is just, when we know that something is right, we ought to speak out, even if it brings persecution to us. If someone is speaking something that is untrue, detrimental to truth, injurious to someone else's character, as the Catechism speaks of, or speaking against the truth of God, or against the law of God, surely we ought to speak out. When we see children being murdered in their mother's wombs, when we see marriage taking place between men and men and women and women, do we just keep quiet because we've lost the argument and it's easier? Or do we speak out in a just cause? And most of all, friends, if Jesus bore witness to himself as the way, the truth, And the life that no one comes to the Father except through him. Do we keep quiet instead of bearing witness to that truth? Do we keep that good news to ourselves? Are we silent on those opportunities when we're meant to speak? 
When there's someone there who desperately needs to hear of a saviour, do we keep quiet? We may not have told a lie. We may not have committed perjury. We may not have misled. But friends, surely we've been quiet and silent in a just cause. And scripture calls upon us to be people of truth. We should speak out. Don't omit to bear witness in a good and a true cause. Speak up for your Lord. Speak up for your Saviour. Speak out against evil. And make sure uh, that the truth is made known in our world. You see, there are many ways. And I've only spoken of a few. There's so much more. How many ways in which we can sin by our speech? It's easy to think, if I don't do particular blatant sins, I'm okay. But examine your tongue. Friends, which one of us can bridle our tongues? Which one of us has never committed any of these sins? Surely we ought to go to the Lord in repentance and cry out for mercy. Surely, like Isaiah, woe is me, a man of unclean lips, dwelling amongst a people of unclean lips. But the Lord is willing to take that burning coal, and he is willing to sanctify our speech. Amen. Let's stand and pray. <clears throat> O Lord our God, how many lies and how much falsehood there is in this world and what great harm it does, particularly to the people of God and how often we're quick to believe things that are false and spreading these things on to others. We pray that you would help us to be men and women who are honest and truthful we only speak when it is necessary, but that we would be slow to speak and quick to listen to what is true. And Lord our God, particularly help us to bear witness to the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the only way of everlasting life. We pray that you would bring a great reformation in our day, for how many sins there are. And particularly we think of our leaders who so blatantly break this law. Lord, you have chosen at this time to set unrighteous men, deceivers, over us. And Lord, when they reign, your people are, are, your people are afflicted by it. We pray that you would have mercy to lift this heavy load from us and to bring truth to bear. Hear us, we pray, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll conclude with singing from Psalm 120. The psalmist is here in distress because all around him are lying lips and guileful tongue. It's just it's the air he's breathing. People are uh, trying to do harm to him. He speaks of the burning coals of juniper, the sharp arrows of the strong. These are lies and false reports that are thrown against him. He cries out there in verse 5, Woe is me that I am Meshach am, a sojourner so long, that I am tabernacles dwell in Kedar that belong. Woe is me 
We can say that ourselves, woe is me that I've dwelt so long among so much deceit and so much uh, falsehood. But we pray that the Lord would deliver us from these things. Psalm 120, the whole psalm, we sing to God's praise. Let's stand to sing. In my distress